Welcome to Weekend Ag Matters from the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. Join us for an in-depth look at Iowa agriculture. Here's your host, Mark Magnuson. Well, an early Happy New Year's greetings to you and welcome to Weekend Ag Matters on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network, brought to you in part by the Iowa Soybean Association. We all hope that you've had a safe and Merry Christmas as we now start thinking about 2023 and the new year. In today's show, I will be joined by Russ Parker with his faith-based food for thought, Riley Smith will visit with Danny Munch, an economist at American Farm Bureau Federation, and Dustin Huffman will wrap up the show with a conversation with Adam Meyer, a Golden Harvest agronomist. As for now, let's turn our attention to this week's news headlines. Egg prices are hitting record levels. FreeRepublic.com says that the surge in price is being driven by an avian influenza outbreak that's killed tens of millions of chickens and turkeys in the United States this year. Wholesale prices of Midwest large eggs hit a record of $5.36 per dozen this month. Retail egg prices are rising faster than any other items in American supermarkets in 2022. Egg prices are up 30% from January through early December compared to the same period last year and are outpacing overall food and beverage prices. Some suppliers are predicting potential price relief by February or March but cold weather could slow production in the near term. Highly pathogenic avian influenza has led to the death of 58 million birds, making it the deadliest outbreak in U.S. history. USDA says entire flocks have to be destroyed after an infection is confirmed to limit potential spread. The USDA's Foreign Agricultural Service released a report titled U.S. Beef Exports to East Asia on a Record Pace. Despite economic uncertainties brought on by COVID, continued global supply chain challenges, and a competitive global beef market, American exports to East Asia were outstanding in the first half of 2022 in terms of value and volume, the report says. During the first three quarters of 2022, U.S. beef exports to East Asia, including Korea, Japan, China, Hong Kong, and Taiwan, were a record $6.6 billion. That's a 22% increase on a value basis from last year's exports worth $5.4 billion. On a volume basis, the exports were up 6.4%, the report says. Despite surging food prices in recent months, higher volume shipments indicate a continued demand for beef products. It also shows that East Asia's relatively stable middle class has high disposable income and is willing to absorb the rising cost. And the Senate confirmed Alexis Taylor as USDA Undersecretary for Trade and Foreign Agricultural Affairs, and U.S. ag groups reacted positively. Alexis has a strong background in agriculture from growing up on a farm in Iowa and has a deep knowledge of trade issues, says the U.S. Grains Council. American Farm Bureau Federation President Zippy Duval says trade is critically important to U.S. agriculture, and she'll be a strong advocate on the world stage and a capable leader for USDA staff. U.S. Meat Export Federation President and CEO Dan Halstrom says Taylor will be a tremendous asset to USDA and a champion for U.S. agriculture. The American Soybean Association also has reacted positively to the announcement. Stephen Sensky, ASA CEO, says Alexis has a depth of knowledge about agricultural trade 
trade and public policy that will serve her well in this post. Groups like NCBA and the National Milk Producers Federation welcomed the nomination as well. And the recently passed omnibus spending legislation contained the reauthorization of the Pesticide Registration Improvement Act, something important to Crop Life America. The organization says it will strengthen and improve the Environmental Protection Agency's pesticide registration process. The EPA scientists worked diligently to comply with the multiple laws that govern pesticide registration, but in recent years, the agency has fewer available scientists to do that work, says Chris Novak, president of CLA. That's all the time we have for news headlines this week. Let's kick things over to Russ Parker now for his faith-based food for thought here on Weekend Ag Matters. There's an old joke that involves three older men, and the question is asked, how many old men does it take to change a light bulb? And I'll bet most of you know the answer to this one. In fact, the number of men involved isn't even part of the conclusion. Instead, the focus is on the word change. Change can be a difficult topic, especially as we approach a page turn from the past year to the new year. There's no getting around it. Life is a revolving door of change and making choices of how we will deal with that change. Sometimes one can time the speed of that revolving door and step right into that change by choice as easily as putting a glove on your hand. And at other times, no matter how hard we try, we just can't get through that door without either walking into the revolving door or having it hit us on the backside because we're just too slow or resistant to making that change. And the fact of the matter about change, at least from a worldly perspective, is that we all want change that improves our life. And we want to avoid those changes that might decrease the quality of our life. Maybe in this upcoming new year, we have a unique opportunity to look at change from a little different perspective and realize that we are not called to change the whole world, but to change ourselves. Allow me to repeat a well-known story to make a point. There were two young children, a brother and a sister. They were in the hospital and both suffered from a rare blood disorder. But the boy had developed antibodies and would survive. But his sister needed her brother's antibodies for her to be able to live. So a transfusion was required. The boy was asked if he would agree, and he said yes. And at the end of the transfusion process, the little boy awakened and asked, am I dead? The doctors didn't realize that the boy thought he was literally giving all of his blood to his sister. So in this new year, change my heart, O oh God. You are the potter, and I am the clay. Make me and mold me. This is what I pray. Food for thought, I hope. Happy New Year. This is Russ Parker. Have a blessed day. Thank you, Russ. Up next, Riley Smith will have our next segment of Weekend Ag Matters as he is joined by Danny Munch, an economist at American Farm Bureau Federation. This is Weekend Ag Matters. Mark your calendars for an event you won't want to miss. 
Registration is now open for the Iowa Soybean Association's Innovation to Profit Conference on February 16, 2023 at the FFA Enrichment Center in Ankeny, Iowa. Find research-backed solutions and opportunities to help you create a successful game plan to bring profitability to your operation. Register today by visiting www.iasoybeans.com. This message brought to you by the Iowa Soybean Association and the Soy Checkoff. Welcome back to Weekend Ag Matters. Here's Riley Smith. We are here with American Farm Bureau Federation economist Danny Munch just talking a bit about uh, farm bill policies especially. Uh, what have you heard from producers across the country on you know, what they want to see, especially you know, a lot of them have had a focus on just don't do any harm to the policies that we've had already? Yeah, so our members have been widely echoing that sort of sentiment is, you know, we have a lot of changes that took place in 2018, uh, not Farm Bill, uh, but at the end of the day, a lot of these programs work well. So when you look at ARC and PLC, uh, dairy margin coverage, a lot of these programs have been reliable to farmers and they don't want the funding to change. We, uh, we want to make sure we maintain that funding. So that's definitely a priority for American Farm Bureau Federation uh, in, in in the next Farm Bill, uh, beyond some little minor tweaks here and there. Um, one thing that we do want to prioritize is regardless of what crop you grow, uh, we want to make sure you have a risk management option in place. Uh, so we know that there's a wide number of products, uh, especially when you look into specialty crop issues, uh, a lot of acreage remains uninsured. Um, so when you think about that, it, you know, uh, American Farm Bureau is in the saying that, you know, regardless of what crop uh, a farmer chooses they, to grow, they should still have those protections. Uh, when, when they don't have a protection, what happens? They generally become reliant on a lot of ad hoc disaster assistance programs. Uh, so things like WIP Plus and the Emergency Relief Program this year. A lot of those programs, you know, they, they they lack provisions needed to support a lot of uh, different farmers. Uh, they need frequent congressional authorization. So this means that farmers are often waiting two, three years to have uh, sort of a safety net that pays out for disaster-related losses. Uh, so instead of sort of these intermittent, frequent, uh, complex uh, regulatory landscapes provided by ad hoc disaster assistance, we prefer um, uh, you know more reliable. Uh, uh, insurance programs and, and insurance products offered through the Farm Bill, offered through USA, through Federal Crop Insurance Program, uh, that can help uh, be a safety net for farmers uh, in, in the future. Right, and especially, you know, we've seen a lot of black swan weather events in the past couple of years. You know, we had in the Midwest, there were tornadoes in December. We've seen drought issues. We've seen derechos across the Midwest. So it's really important that those farmers have a consistent safety net that can uh, help them bounce back uh, from events that, you know, you just can't predict. Right, you know, and if you're growing a crop that just doesn't have an insurance program in place, or if you're confused, or if it's too costly, it's not affordable, the program that's in place, you know, one, one program in the USA that our farmers have been looking into is the whole far farm revenue protection program. Program, uh, which sort of provides protection against all of your crops in that market. Uh, right now, a lot of farmers just say it's not really affordable for them. Uh, you know, if you see, if you know, if you're producing both a row crop that's in, uh, experiencing high commodity prices, and you're also uh, growing a specialty crop that's experiencing low uh, uh, low prices, uh, the whole. Uh, whole crop revenue insurance program uh, sort of evens it out so your, your farmer is not really benefiting from the, from the program uh, and, and really supporting the production of that uh, that other crop that might be not doing as well which you know in the context of nutrition and global uh, and national food security is very important as well uh, so definitely looking at those programs improving them uh, but we still want to maintain the funding that exists for the for the existing programs that do work for farmers Right, and of course, uh, plenty of things for the livestock side of things as well. You mentioned that uh, dairy is a little more of your area of expertise, and of course we see plenty of dairy in Iowa as well. So what have you heard from dairy producers, uh, just kind of a little more specific in that farm bill process? 
Yeah, so like ARC and PLC, you know, our farmers really like how dairy margin coverage has functioned in the past couple of years. We know that this was a uh, sort of, the, the program was revamped in the 2018 Farm Bill. Uh, it was sort of a, out of the margin protection program uh, from previously. Um, under dairy margin coverage, uh, you know, there were a couple of changes made recently that we want to keep. Uh, under Consolidated Appropriations Act, um, we switched to premium alfalfa costs. Uh, we want to make sure that is kept permanently. Um, when we look at sort of margin offerings, uh, we know recently there's there's sort of a cap on your 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 uh, uh, your your category one uh, margins at nine dollars we're hoping that farmers can buy up to twelve dollars um, so that's sort of uh, sort of a, a something that we're looking at adding more flexibility there uh, looking at production history uh, originally when, when um, uh, the dairy margin coverage program was established. Farmers could only utilize 2011, 12, 13, the highest of their production history. Uh, so it's been about 10 years since then. So if any farmers experience changes in how big their herd is, they can't really change how they utilize the program to better reflect their operational characteristics. Uh, so sort of updating the program so it reacts better to how farmers are changing their operations is a priority as well. But in general, very happy with how dairy margin coverage has been functioning. Um, it is a very effective program, and, and we know that farmers that utilize the program benefit well. All right. Is there anything else on just kind of the farm bill uh, policy side of things that our viewers and listeners should know about today? Yeah, I guess, you know, one of the main things that uh, us at Farm Bureau are proponents of is keeping nutrition in the farm bill. Uh, we know that, you know, as more and more people move into urban areas, this means that every time there's a census, there's a lot more Congress people representing those urban areas. So in order to keep food and, and food production in the conversation, we want nutrition to be in the farm bill because the nutrition is important to urban areas. Uh, so, so keeping it together means that we're going to be working across party lines to make sure that farmers and the rural community stays in these conversations, um, and we don't want those to be separate. Uh, we know that you know nutrition makes up over 70% of the farm bill. Um, there's actually a very small amount that goes towards a lot of your uh, traditional safety net programs, um, so that, that's really a priority for us. All right, and if our uh, farmer listeners would like to get in touch and just see what the Farm Bureau is up to, especially on the policy side of things, where can they go to find that information? Absolutely. So they could look up American Farm Bureau Federation online or go to fb.org. Uh, we have a wide range of market intels that our econ team puts out on all these different issues. Uh, some are just market-related issues, providing market, market outlooks on beef, dairy, pork, corn. Uh, others could dive into policy issues, seeing how different changes in the farm bill might affect farmers. That's all listed there. We also have a number of news releases and other resources that farmers and ranchers can use uh, uh, you know, to better inform themselves. All right, Danny. Well, thanks for taking the time to visit with us today and enjoy the rest of the conference. Thank you so much. That again was American Farm Bureau Federation economist Danny Munch. And that's it for segment two of this week's show. When we come back, Dustin Huffman will wrap things up. This is Weekend Ag Matters. Welcome to January and the beginning of the new year. While we don't know for sure what 2023 will bring, we always need to do our best to be prepared. The same holds true when you're traveling in winter conditions. Make sure you're always aware of the weather forecast, as winter weather can change in the blink of an eye or vary greatly between regions. And be certain of what conditions you may face throughout your route. You can always check conditions across the state by calling 511 on your phone or downloading the Iowa 511 app. This message on winter driving safety is from your friends at the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. Welcome back to Weekend Ag Matters. Here's your host, Dustin Hoffman.
Welcome back to segment three here on Weekend Ag Matters. I'm glad you could join us here as we celebrate our New Year's episode as 2023 will be ringing in here coming up here on this Sunday. As we look back on 2022, I had the chance to catch up with a Golden Harvest agronomist and we talk about what he saw up in northeastern Iowa here this year. We're on the phone right now with Adam Meyer. He is a agronomist for Golden Harvest up in the St. Ansgar area. Adam, thanks for taking the time to visit with us today. You bet. Glad to be here. So obviously we know the, 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 the harvest season has wrapped up here in Iowa. And tell us a little bit about what was seen up in that northeast region. I know you guys didn't see the drought conditions like the west saw. What kind of things did you guys see coming out of those fields this year? Yeah, it was a pretty fun harvest season here from uh, a multitude of reasons um, one of those being guys are always a little more excited and have a, a little higher morale when uh, the harvest is is going well and crops are coming out in dry conditions um, and we definitely had that pretty much any day you wanted to to run you could and if you weren't getting done at a reasonable time it's kind of your your own fault or other other limitations out of your abilities so it was really fun harvest from that aspect along with uh, the yields were there and uh, and obviously prices as well. So it was a, a really fun fall season. Um, there were some key learnings this year, even with some good harvest results in that, uh, you know, we still had some stresses along the way, even in areas that, that did get some rains, we had some stresses and, you know, sometimes half a mile made a heck of a difference on, if I only got a couple tenths or or closer to an inch, so um, those those little bit of differences made made some big differences. You know, the other thing we saw in Northeast Iowa was uh, that resurgence of some some disease. So a lot of times when we get into higher yield environments and and have a better environment for growing uh, corn and soybeans, that's also a very conducive environment for growing some diseases as well. And we definitely uh, definitely saw that. So it was a good year to get some key learnings from a management perspective. Uh, really saw a, a lot of different management tactics um, showing differences by hybrids. We've done a lot more management by hybrid type of trials to really hone in on how products respond to different trialing from uh, population management to fertility uh, placement as well as um, quantity and availability of, of fertility, and then obviously the, the all-important disease control with, with uh, fungicides and, and knowing those disease tolerances by products. So, um, you know, that's one of the management tactics really going through with growers right now is trying to get that acre by acre and field by field recommendation on, on what we're doing um, by product as, as, you know, as opposed to that overall what I'm doing on all of my acres and, and doing the cookie cutter, same thing on every acre, uh, especially with input prices where they are. We need to be very judicious about how those dollars are being spent. And, uh, you know, we've, we've got a lot of key learnings the last couple of years to really help maximize that dollar spend um, to get the most out of, out of every product and every acre. Now, you mentioned the disease pressure. What kind of things were you seeing this year uh, up in that region? You know, the, the normal gamut, um, we had a little bit of gray leaf spot come on early, um, but didn't really take 
hold that much. Um, it really was the most impact um, in that late August to September time frame when we got more prevalent rains, heavy dews, um, a lot of overnight moisture. Northern corn leaf blight started coming in uh, pretty heavy. And then you combine that with the now infamous uh, tar spot kind of uh, epidemic coming in. And uh, that combination really takes things down pretty pretty quickly in, in some areas. Um, you know, there, there are parts when you got into northeast Iowa or into southeast Minnesota there, and you could drive by a field that was still nice and healthy and, and pure green versus one that uh, was being taken down, looked like the middle of October, and we were only in, in late August or early September, um, and disease had taken it down pretty hard. So um, one of the key learnings the last couple of years, uh, especially on, on the, the tar spots, complex I'm going to call it is that there uh, is a heavy influence on genetics uh, so genetic tolerances are are definitely different with that uh, disease spectrum just like any of our other diseases we know that there's different tolerances to northern corn leaf blight gray leaf spot or any of these other ones tar spot is no different in that regard and that's our our number one defense when we talk tar spot so now, obviously, as a Golden Harvest agronomist, you got to see Golden Harvest's, you know, brands out there uh, and performing under these different conditions. Now, obviously, as you mentioned, when it comes to disease, obviously a great offense is is what prepares for a good defense later on in the season. But, you know, starting with that seed is important. You know, what kind of results did you see from those Golden Harvest uh, acres out there this year? We had a, a couple of products that I really like to, to highlight and, and really rose to the top for me from – from a multitude of aspects, but uh, the first one would be G00A97 AgriSure Above, which is a new 100-day product that uh, we have out there. And I've seen it for a few years in, in research, and that's why I've been so excited about it because the last couple of years when I've been seeing it out there, um, I mean, it is just consistent everywhere I saw it, no matter what the yield environment, no matter north, south, east, west, um, every situation, um, wet feet all the way up to, to drought, it, it works really well. It's the exact same ear everywhere, um, has tremendous emergence, early season, early season vigor. So getting out of the ground, getting that stand established early on is good. The roots and stalks, the agronomics overall are second to none. Um, and then it does actually have our AgriShare Artesian trait on it so uh, that drought tolerance is second to none so that one uh, is just an awesome one that provides the the consistency on on yield that we want in the end as well so really excited about that one uh, the other one is uh, g11v76 and we have that in uh, a couple of different trait versions uh, agriculture above as well as a, a duracade below ground offering and that one is probably our number one selling hybrid across the across the board and that's once again because of its versatility um, excellent agronomics overall fast dry down grain quality I'll push that product all the way up into southern Minnesota um, as well as obviously across all of Iowa it it performs really well and uh, has that good emergence even in stress environments 
what really excites me about it and why we're using it in so many locations is is the top end yield potential with it and then how it even holds that in in tougher environments as well so um if you're looking for a national corn growers type of a corn this is a really good one from our lineup to do uh, that type of work with and uh, we're we're pretty excited about it now looking ahead to 2023 is there any new uh, products coming out that you're excited to tell us about yet or are we still kind of waiting to make those announcements yeah we are are in the process on on getting through um advancements and and we have a a few more um that we will be lining uh adding to the lineup here so we'll be uh announcing them here shortly after after the the first of the year and and getting those in plots and hopefully a few looks out in the field on there but um we don't have that that fully baked yet but it'll be be coming here pretty soon and i'll just say that it's probably one of our biggest classes that we have had here in recent history um, coming forward so that's that's always exciting all right so there's producers out there that haven't made their decisions on seed or maybe weren't happy with what they saw in their performance this last year uh, from other seed companies how do they get in touch where do they uh, where do they make the switch to to find out about what golden harvest could do on their acres yeah so the easiest uh, way to work with golden harvest is to uh, go to goldenharvestseeds.com and that will give you a resource to, to find your local seed advisor if, if you don't know who it is or sales rep. Um, otherwise, yeah, get in contact with your local seed advisor, uh, GHX specialist, uh, agronomist, or, or sales rep. And we'd definitely love to, to help you out on your farm. Uh, like I said, we've got some pretty exciting things that are, are bringing some consistency to the table. And I think that's what growers are really looking for. Um, in this this time frame, when we really want to maximize what we can get out of uh, out of these fields with with how both crop prices and input prices are, so um, that's really what we're trying to strive here strive for here at uh, Golden Harvest. All right, well, Adam, I thank you so much for your insight and uh, your time you took here to talk with us today. Appreciate the time. Thank you. That was Golden Harvest agronomist Adam Meyer here on Weekend Ag Matters. And that brings us to the end of this week's program and brings us to the end of another year of Weekend Ag Matters. We thank you so much for continuing to be a part of this every weekend on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. We look forward to bringing you more ag news throughout 2023. On behalf of Ross Parker, Mark Magnuson, and Riley Smith, I'm Dustin Huffman. We thank you for listening. This has been Weekend Ag Matters.